Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How are you? This is the brave crew that came out today in the cool month of August, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you look really good today. On that positive note, let's pray. Father, we're grateful today to be in your presence. Lord, let our mind be open, our ears receptive. Lord, to your word today, we give you praise and honor in Jesus' holy name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. During World War II, there was a group called the Resistance, and Europe, Philippines, um, all across the struggle of the war, there were people when Mussolini and Hitler, uh, different people tried to invade their country, invade their land, they tried to resist, and they were called the Resistance. It was a very important part of the war. Uh, I know in our own life, there's things that we have to resist. What you don't resist, you give in to. And everybody's given in to things. Uh, someone in the early service told me that they worked for an orthopedic surgeon and said that they had resistance training because of the pain and the things you go through during that surgery you had to resist. Um, sometimes parents tell their children to stand up, don't slouch. You ever heard that? Uh, if you keep giving in to the slouch, you will develop a very bad habit and very bad posture. I realize that there are things uh, medically that go wrong, but how many of you know you can give in to things and you can create your own problem? Um, quit eating ice cream. Um, uh, let me give you a little tip on this because I'm guilty of this. I used to always use a bowl. Does anybody know what's coming next? Uh, now I eat it out of the carton. I need to resist that. that that's something I need to resist. Uh, you, you have temptation to stay in bed when you know you should get up. You want to be lazy when you know that you should be industrious. Uh, this last two days, Friday and Saturday, Carrie and I had some work in the yard, and uh, I think you noticed that as much as I did, the heat index was somewhere between 106 and 110. And I wanted to go in and prop my feet up, uh, get in the recliner, drink some iced tea, and not go back outside. I had to resist that because that's what my body wanted to do. You have to resist thoughts and feelings and actions. You have to resist being offended. How many of you know there's just a lot of things you have to resist? Because if you don't resist it, it comes back to bite you. James chapter 4, so let's orient in the New Testament today. If you have your Bible turned there, in verse 6... James tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, uh, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this word resist means to stand against, oppose, push back, or withstand. So the question is, how do we resist? It's a very good question. It's a question I ask myself. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, and so I'm just going to share with you today my thoughts and my feelings, and certainly my opinions don't matter, but how many of you know the Word of God does matter? So what does the Word say about resisting? How do we do it? So the first observation is resisting starts with submitting. 
resisting starts with submitting. Because if you look there at James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud. So we know God resists some things and some people. But he gives grace to the humble. The, the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what do we do first? For you to submit means you have the ability now to resist. So submission comes first and then the resistance. So we can resist if we first what? Submit. So humble people submit, proud people don't. Humble people submit, proud people don't. But God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, in 1 Peter 5 and 5, Peter picks this up. So I want you to see the, the fluid word and thought as the Holy Spirit moves upon James and both Peter. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So both are on the same uh, line, the same thought pattern. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So as we submit, then now we're able to what? Resist. So more submission, more power for resistance. Now notice this line here in this verse. Be clothed with humility. Say that with me. Be clothed with humility. Now let's all set together. Here we go. Be clothed with humility. So you have to put on humility. You have to put on it as a cloth or clothes, uh, shirts, pants, socks, shoes. You have to clothe yourself with humility. I have a little granddaughter, Riley. She's two years and two months. She's in the terrific twos. And sometimes when you dress her, she doesn't like being dressed. She is a free spirit, and she would run through the yard naked if she could, much like her dad was when he was two. So when you put clothes on her, sometimes you get a little resistance because she doesn't like it being pull over her head and mess her hair up and flatten her ears and then trying to get her arms through the armholes, there's a little bit of resistance there being clothed. And I want to tell you sometimes we're just like that, being clothed with humility because it's not our nature. Our nature is fallen. And in that fallen nature, we're trying to clothe ourselves with humility and we have to be disciplined to do that. And our fallen nature doesn't like being clothed in humility. I read an article recently about uh, some of the animals that they use for experimentation and medical and also to bring into zoos. And one of the most elusive animal is the ring-tailed monkey in Africa. They're very smart. They're very agile. They can jump. They can run. They can climb trees. So how do you catch them? Well, uh, people have been trying to catch them for years for those purposes, but the Zulu Indians and, and the tribesmen, the native people there, they know how to catch the ring-tailed monkey, and this is what they do. The ring-tailed monkey loves these certain melons that grow in this part of Africa. And so what the Zulus do, they, they cut a hole in the melon just big enough for the spider monkey or the ringtail monkey to get its hand down in the melon to get the good stuff out of the melon, and especially the seeds. They love the seeds. But once they get a hold of what they want inside the melon, the grip of their fist is too big now to get out of the hole. And so the Zulu tribe, they can catch the monkeys because the monkeys are trying to escape with a melon on their 
hand and arm. And some of us, some of us, we have our hand into stuff, stuff that we shouldn't have or that maybe sometimes is good stuff that we hold on to it too tight and it trips us up. And we're very prideful in our materialism. We become identified with what we have and who we are and where we work and our title and our position and even how we look. And we, we get enamored with that. And what happens is pride begins to rise up a little bit. Drew, my nephew, uh, told me a story this last week of a woman who was a dentist. And she had a guy who came into their waiting room waiting for his turn to come back. And she noticed him in the waiting room and she thought, I think I went to school with this guy. But he looks really old. Have you noticed that people you went to school with are starting to look really old now? Y'all are so holy. He looks really old. So when it's turn to come back to the dentist chair, she thinks, I'd like to really address this and see if I went to school with him, but I don't want to embarrass him because he looks so old. And when I tell him that I think we went to school together, that Maybe he looks so old and I don't look so old that it will be an embarrassment to him. And finally she broached the subject. She said, sir, uh, you're so familiar to me. I, and of course she's thinking, you've lost your hair, you've gained weight, and I'm sorry, I just thought I'd go there. But um, you, you look like, you know, someone who was in school at the same time I was. And he said, well, maybe so. What grade did you teach? You see, sometimes pride can rise up, can it? It doesn't turn out quite what you thought it would turn out to be because we get enamored with these things. We, we get attached to these things, and just like the monkeys, we hold on things too tightly, and we get our identification from that. Does it mean that good things are bad? No. Does it mean material things are bad? No. You just got to make sure that you submit yourself to God and you clothe yourself with humility because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we need to appreciate the blessings but resist the tendency to become prideful, right? Because it can happen to anybody. Let me say that again. It can happen to anybody. So we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, so we submit to that, we believe that, we know that, so we are humble in that, but we resist this pride thing that can come on us and really snare us. Here's a question that I want to pose to you this morning. Can the Lord bless you, and can He use you in a tremendous way, but yet you still stay humble? Uh, can you still stay committed? Because this is what happens to a lot of people. The more the Lord blesses them, the less committed to Him they become. They get distracted. They have a lot of toys. They have a lot of places to go and things to do. And Nothing wrong with that. You just got to keep the main thing the main thing, right? You got to keep Him in His rightful place and we submit to Him. We're humble under Him. We put on humility realizing He's the source of every blessing I have and I have to resist the other thinking that I am something and He's nothing. How many of you know He's everything and I'm submitted to Him? So that's how that works. You see, the greater the blessing, sometimes the people get the lesser commitment. We have to be careful and we have to resist that and I have to resist that tendency. 
Proverbs chapter 6, uh, uh, verse 16, the, the Lord is going to tell us what He hates. How many of you know the Lord hates some things? Here's a, here, here's a, a complex paradigm here. The God of love hates some things. The God who has eternal love, perfect love, hates some things. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because that's what the Word of God says. Look at verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. You know abomination is a strong, strong word. Not only does the Lord hate these things, they're an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Did you see number one on the list? What was the first thing on God's list that he hates and that is an abomination to him? A proud look. Here's a question again. Why is that at the top of God's list? Why is that number one for God a proud look? Well, I'll tell you why, I think. It's what caused war in heaven. Pride was the original sin. Let me tell you something. There was a created being in heaven called Lucifer, Satan, and he was created in perfect beauty. He was created to lead in worship. He was created to be at the throne of God. He was created to cover the throne of God. But something happened in his heart he got prideful and he said, I'll lift myself above God. I'll be like God. And a third of the angels followed him. There was war in heaven. He was cast out all because of this issue of pride. Lucifer became prideful. And God opposes and resists the prideful. He wars against the prideful. How do you know, I don't need God warring against me. I need him to bless me. I want him to be for me. So therefore, what do I do? I submit to God, and then therefore I'm able to resist. Now, the second thing that I want to share with you this morning is resisting is denying access. Resisting is denying access. Now, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's a verse you're very familiar with. Be sober, be be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Say that with me. Resist him. Let's say it again. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood or your brethren in the world. Now, I want to focus on one little bitty word here, three letters, in the middle of this verse, in verse number 8. Seeking whom he may devour. Now, look at this word may here. Its definition means the permissive choice to act or not. The permissive choice to act or not. So, may I have a banana? May I have a Twinkie? May I have permission? May I have this? May I have that? Listen, I know I can do some things, but what am I doing? I'm asking for permission. Now, notice the context of the verse here. Seeking whom he may devour. So if he's seeking whom he may devour, let's just uh, pose in the place of Satan, may I devour you? Do I have permission to devour you? Are you thinking? May I devour you? And the answer is what? No. 
I want to devour you. Can he devour you? According to Scripture, he can devour you. Why doesn't he devour you? Because you don't give him permission to devour you. How do you not let Satan devour you? The, the verse tells us, resist him steadfast in the faith. If he has the ability to devour you, why does he not devour you? Because he doesn't have the authority to devour you unless you give him the authority to devour you. So may he devour you? Notice that's what it says, seeking whom he may devour. And my answer is, no, you may not devour me because I'm going to resist you steadfast in the faith. So therefore, you can't devour me. So what are we doing here? We're saying this is how he comes. This is how he works. This is what you do. This is what I do. We resist. So how do we resist? We resist thoughts. Has anyone here ever resisted some thoughts? Yeah, we do it every day. Uh, thoughts like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to get through this. This is going to overwhelm me. One of the greatest battles you will ever, ever fight is in your mind. It's the battlefield. And the enemy knows that. That's why he sends fiery darts through your mind. And you can be praying. You can be in here today worshiping. You can be listening to me right now. And all of a sudden thoughts go through your mind. Where did they come from? You didn't want to think that. Some are despicable thoughts. Even abominations. But yet they still go through our mind. Where did they come from? It's a fiery dart from the enemy. What do you do with those? You resist them. You don't entertain them. You resist them. Do you know that uh, Jesus said the devil's a liar, the truth is not in him? So if, if he says to you, you're not going to make it, and if he's a liar, guess what? You're going to make it. If he says, well, you've sinned and you've lived such a horrible life, God could never forgive you if that's what the enemy tells you. Guess what the opposite of that is? If he's a liar and the truth is not in him, that means that you are going to make it. God can save you and his grace is sufficient. That's what that means. So I can either give in to that thought or I resist that thought and I bring it into subjection. If he tells you God doesn't love you, guess what? God does love you. Because the devil is a liar. And we know he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So why in the world would I ever give place to the devil? Why would we entertain these thoughts of negativity? Why would we even bring these in to entertain them for a moment in our life when we know we should what? Resist these thoughts and not bring them to the forethought of our minds. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible deals with this in a different way. Chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. There are thoughts that go through your mind that are not godly. There are thoughts that go through your mind that are not really from the Word of God. There are thoughts that go through your mind that really are invasive thoughts, Horrible thoughts. So what do you do with them? You resist those thoughts. You come against those thoughts in your mind. And it's warfare. 
The weapons of our what? Warfare. So you have to war against those thoughts, and the way you do it is that you resist them. How many of you have some thoughts it would be better if you didn't think them? And it's sure better if you don't verbalize them. I have thoughts. I had some yesterday evening going down the bypass. And I verbally said them out loud to Carrie. What are you doing on the bypass going 35 when it's 65 miles an hour? I want to pull these people over and give them my thoughts on that. I know y'all are holy. You'd never do that. But these are just my thoughts. How about feelings? Have you ever had to resist some feelings? I have a feeling I want to give you a piece of my mind. I have a feeling I want to tell you how immature you are. But that will not help me in life. So I have to resist these feelings. I have a feeling that I'm attracted to this other person, but I'm married. What do you do with that? You resist the feeling. Or you're going to commit adultery. Are we getting down where the rubber meets the road? I have a feeling that I don't want to go to work today. I have to resist that feeling. I have a feeling I don't want to be committed today. I have to resist that feeling. I have a feeling that maybe I'm in the wrong sex. So I have to resist that feeling. I have a feeling I'm attracted to somebody I shouldn't be attracted to. I have to resist that feeling. But we live in a culture that's embraced all of the feelings and said, if that's what I feel, then that's who I am. And it's entirely wrong. You have to resist the feeling. Because what do we know? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy your life, and he will do it with thoughts and feelings. So what do you do? You resist those things. Say, Pastor, are you making this up? No, I think I'm still in the Word of God. Listen, a six foot nine Chinese guy can't be a five foot two woman. And if you think you are, you need to resist the feeling. But we live in a world that's embraced everything. If it's my truth, it's my truth. That's called relativism. If it's truth for you, it must be truth. No, listen. This is truth. This is truth. Thy word is truth. And if I have any other feelings besides that, I need to what? Resist those feelings. If I have any thoughts besides that, I need to resist those thoughts and bring them into subjection to the Word of God and cast down every imagination, I imagine it would be better with you than with Carrie. I think it would be better if I didn't come to church. I think it would be better if I didn't get around you because you offended me. What I need to do, I need to cast those thoughts 
and feelings down because they're contrary to my success. And they're contrary to your success. So what do we do? We resist the feelings. Here's the last thing this morning. And some of you said, goodness gracious, is he ever going to shut up? I have to resist the feeling and the urge to give in and give up. Tragedy happens to everyone. Life gives no one a pass. You are in a war for your life. We're in a cultural war today. Sometimes it seems like you're being overwhelmed and overloaded and you're outgunned. And guess what? Many of that's absolutely the truth. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, Moses is sharing with the people of God some very important things before he dies. Most of you know Moses was not permitted to go into the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy, actually that book means second law. It means that at the beginning of the journey, God gave his law, he gave his precepts, he gave the Ten Commandments. And before Moses dies, 40 years later, before he dies, he, he feels the need to rehearse the law and the precepts of God with them one more time before he dies. How many of you know the last words before you die are pretty important? And Moses is saying, let me share with you the precepts of God before I die. And this is what it is. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you're on the verge of the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you're on the verge of battle with your enemy. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I faced I was pretty concerned about. And I'm sure you're the same way. Challenges. Um, Maybe enemies, situations, circumstances, the economy, the job, maybe your marriage, and you're facing this, and you think, man, this is overwhelming to me. This is bigger than me. And so this is what Moses is saying. This is going to happen to you. You're going to face an enemy. You're going to be in a battle. You're going to look at that battle. You're going to look at that enemy, and this is what you're going to say. This is bigger than me. There's more of them than me. They have bigger horses. They have more chariots than me. Their weapons are, are bigger and better than mine. But this is what the Lord is saying. And when you feel that way, and when you think that way, remember this. They may have more of this, but you have more of God. Because God is going to make up the difference between the lack that you have and the power and the numbers that they have. So your victory is not in how much you have or who you are in the sense of you can't really compete with them, but your victory is in whose you are. And because of that, you're going to win the victory because God is going to be with you. And this happened over and over and over in the Word of God. And guess what? It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. And you're going to say, well, listen, I feel the urge to give in. I feel the urge to give up. I feel the urge to surrender. But you know what you have to do? You have to resist the urge. You have to resist the feeling. You have to resist the thought. You have to resist your fear. Because fear comes in. You know what you do? You resist it. 
You resist it, you resist it, you resist it. Why? Because if you don't resist it, you give it permission, what? To come in. What we don't resist, what we don't resist, we give in to. So we have to resist the fear. Proverbs 24, verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Listen, folks. For 40-something years, I've stood in this pulpit and preached to thousands and thousands of people, and some of them are not here today. And I want to tell you why. They fainted along the way. Something happened. They were hurt. They were offended. Uh, they went through a tough time. Uh, th their belief was challenged. And guess what they didn't do? They didn't resist it. They gave in to it. It happens to every person. You're going to have those feelings. You're going to have those thoughts. What do you do with them? You, what? Resist them. Even Jesus dealt with this. In the Gospel of Matthew, most of you know Jesus ate the Passover, the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room. They left that upper room. They crossed the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives. They went to a garden called Gethsemane. We've been in Gethsemane. There's a lot of olive trees there. It's called the press. The olive press is there. And Jesus is praying. He asked some of his disciples, would you go with me to pray? They went to pray, and he's praying. Verse 39 tells us what he prayed. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but your will. He went back to see those disciples to see if they were praying with him. Where were they? They were sleeping. He said, couldn't you just watch and pray with me for one hour? He went back a little further and he prayed the second time. The Bible says he prayed the third time. It's very clear. It says he used the same words. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. You know what he's doing? He's submitting to God so he can resist the tendency not to go through with this. It's a very human reaction, isn't it? And he's God in humanity. He's fully human, but he's fully deity at the same time. It's a mystery, isn't it? But in his humanity, he's facing the cross. He's facing the crown of thorns and the whipping and, and the nails and the, hum, the humiliation and being stripped naked and the spitting and the hitting, all for you and all for me. He goes to the cross so that I can be the righteousness of God and he knows he's going to the cross. Not only does he know it at this moment, but years before, three years before, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified. He knows. But even though he knows, he's saying, for me to get through this, I have to submit to God. Right? Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Isn't it interesting? Maybe we'll talk about this ne next week. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, guess who shows up? Satan shows up. But guess what he's trying to do? He's trying to tempt Jesus. But Jesus didn't give in to the temptation. What did he do? He resisted the temptation. You can either resist it or you can give in to it. And if you give in to it, it's not a good thing. And now he's praying, if it's possible, 
Not my will, but what I submit to your will. The more I submit, the more powerful I am to resist. Submit to God, resist the devil. You know, many times we don't think we can make it through either. But His grace is sufficient, isn't it? He can help us get through it. Do you remember uh, Paul going on missionary journeys? He went on three. He goes on a missionary journey, and he goes with Barnabas. And they decide they're going to take a young man with him called John Mark. Now, I don't know what it would have been like to be on a missionary journey with Paul, but I know what it says in the Bible. They uh, were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were run out of town. They were rejected. And Paul was even stoned and left for dead at Lystra. Now, can you imagine you're traveling with Paul and Barnabas and you're a young person and you say, I don't think this is what I signed up for. I, I, I wanted to come to church and sit on padded pews and have air conditioning. And, and, and I wanted to leave at noon. But this is not what I signed up for. They're throwing us in jail. They're whipping us. They're beating us. They're stoning our leader here. And they're leaving him for dead. And when they get to Pamphylia, let me tell you what John Mark said. He said, adios. I've had all of this I want. I, I can't hang in here any longer. Listen, I didn't sign up for this. And guess what he did? He left. He quit. He abandoned ship. And then they're ready for the second missionary journey. And uh, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to leave. And Barnabas said, let's take John Mark back with us. And Paul said, and you can read this in the scripture. It doesn't sound quite like this. What? No, it doesn't say that. But, but Paul doesn't take John Mark. I mean, the Bible says the contention was so intense between Barnabas and Paul over taking John Mark, they decided to go their separate ways. Paul takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark. And I think in some way, Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, forgot that when no one wanted him, when he was kryptonite to the Christian church because he murdered people and he, he destroyed the church. The only person who would take him was Barnabas. And Barnabas' name means son of consolation. And I'm kind of glad that Barnabas took John Mark because you would only have three Gospels today. You'd only have Matthew, Luke, and John, and you would not have Mark. So thank God for Barnabas is in the church that picks up people who sometimes feel like quitting. Amen? But... Sometimes you have to resist the thought of quitting. You have to resist the thought of, I can't get through this. And if we would interview Paul, and I think this might be his rebuttal in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read it to you. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, 
in hunger and thirst, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? You know what he's saying? You think you got it bad? Someone talked about you, posted something on Facebook to you? Goodness gracious, I was stone left for dead, beaten, thrown in the ocean, a night and day at drift, thinking if I'm ever going to get by out of this. You know what Paul would say? Goodness gracious, grow up, believer. Resist some junk in your life. Well, they talked about me. Don't say that to Paul. Well, somebody got my seat. Don't, don't say that to him. Well, somebody criticized me. Oh, don't bring that up to him. You're going to lose this argument big time. You know what he's going to say? You're a Christian snowflake. Is everybody okay? So I'm just saying, we have feelings, we have thoughts, we have emotions. And what do you have to do with a lot of those things? You just have to resist them. Because if you don't resist them, you will give in to them, and it won't be good for any of our lives. Now, you think Paul ever thought about giving up? Probably. Did he? No. Because at the end of his life, he gives us, gives us this line, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. He said, I, I'm going to finish this journey. And sometimes you, you and I think, hey, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a struggle. I've got to be committed. I've got to show up. You know, I need to do this and I need to do that. And, and that's okay. Uh, that's what we should do. But really, the victory is not just here. The victory is when we finish this, right? Uh, the crown is not down here. The crown is over there. There is henceforth a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Paul, did you wear the crowd in Lystra? No, I, I, I wore the rocks in Lystra. Did you wear the crown in Thessalonica? No, I was in prison there. I didn't wear it there. But guess what? If you don't give up, if you have the thoughts of giving up, if you have the feelings of giving up, what do we do? Well, according to the Scripture, we resist them. We resist them. The enemy's coming after me. I'm losing my job. Well, don't give up. Just resist that feeling. Well, someone offended me. Don't leave church. Resist that feeling. And when you're out there saying, well, pastor, you don't know how people offend me. Honey, you ought to be the pastor. You got nothing on me. You're sick. Don't give up. Resist that feeling. Difficult relationship? Don't give up. Resist the feeling of quitting, the thought of quitting. You had a child die? Don't give up. Resist that feeling. Have a spouse that left you? Resist the feeling of quitting. You went through a divorce? Resist that feeling of giving up, feeling like it's over. You see, there's a lot in resisting, isn't there? Resisting's a good thing. It's better at 16 to resist the drug that someone gives you than going through treatment at 40. Thank God we have groups here that helps people 
who didn't resist at 16. They're resisting now. But I'm saying it's better to resist at 16 than 40. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that can go on between 16 and 40. That can be hell on earth. Maybe you feel like you're a little racist and, and turned toward racist tendency. Resist that feeling. You see, we have a culture that wants you to buy into everything. We have a culture that wants you to participate in everything. We have a culture that tells you this is okay, and this is okay, and this is okay. Can I tell you, resist that thinking. It's okay to slaughter babies by the millions before they're born. Resist that ideology and that thinking. It, yeah. Amen. It's okay to be this. It's okay to be called this. It's okay to participate in this. No, it's not. According to the Word of God, you must what? Resist it. And especially for our young people, I, I, I didn't go what you're going through today. I went through part of it, but back in the Stone Age, we didn't have a lot of that. But today you do. You're bombarded on social media and movies and television and music and a hundred other ways. And they're trying to get you to conform and be a part of this and embrace this and believe this. Let me tell you what I'm going to give you as a good word today. Resist that today. Because it's going to lead you down a path you don't need to go. And I realize some of you are kind of shaking your head intern internally, but you don't have enough maturity to realize what I'm saying today. Resist it. Because it will lead you to a path you don't want to go. There's nothing sadder, and even in my own family, to see someone who's 70 years old and still addicted to drugs. And 80 years old and went through 15 marriages because someone didn't resist some compulsions and thoughts and feelings in their own life. So I'm here to tell you in some uncertain ways and simple ways, there's things in your life you just have to resist. And don't give in to it. Don't give place to the devil. And when he comes, do not give him permission. May I enter? And the answer is absolutely not. I'm resisting you steadfast in the faith. And if there was ever a time we needed to hear this message, my friends, it is today. There's things we need to resist. Bow your head before I get on the soapbox. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.